Welcome to I Hate It Here, the podcast for HR and people professionals, making the hardest job in the world just a little bit easier. I'm Hibi Youssef. Welcome to the newest episode of HR Therapy. Woo! Why we need community at work. I was told to stop bopping so much, so I'm really trying to not do that. This one's going to be really fun. I brought you some of my favorite people, and they're all they're just a blast. This is going to be such a good day. Okay, the rundown, what we're doing today. You're going to meet the cast. We're going to do our Dear Hibba and Friends section, which has some questions ahead of time. We've got live questions from all of you. Uh, we'll do Dear Hibba and Friends. We'll do live Q&A. You, can never, you never know what the live event, what's going to happen. And then we'll talk about what's next. So let's get to it. Oh, I also have one important thing I have to tell you all. There's an exciting announcement coming at the end of the, the session. You probably have already seen it on LinkedIn, but there's something special for everyone here who's attending. So just a heads up. Um, okay, I can shut up. The cast will introduce themselves now. Sorry, I'll hand to you first. Hi, everyone. My name is Soraya. I am in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I am the People and Culture Manager for Inkbox. We are a semi-permanent tattoo brand. Super excited to be here with all of you amazing people, professionals, um, and looking forward to getting into it. Thanks, all. Yay. Next up, Alex. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex Seiler. I'm based in Los Angeles. If you're wondering where this accent is from, I'm half British, half Swiss, and I was born and raised in Hong Kong. So I'm all things diverse, I like to think of myself. Um, I'm chief people officer for a company called GHJ, and I advise three startups as well. I'm super excited to be here with all of you, and happy Pride Month. And I'm going to hand it to Adrian. Thanks. I just learned something about you, Alex. I did not know that. Um, I did not know that. I did not know that. <laughs> um, I thought your accent was because you were L L A Ian. Yeah, <laughs> could be. Could be. The Californians, like SNL Californians, is coming to mind, and that's just not that's not right. So <laughs> wires are crossed. Um, hey y'all, my name's Adrian. I go by Aid. I'm based in Austin, Texas. Hence the y'all, but y'all is also inclusive. So y'all use y'all. Been in the HR people space for over 18 years, variety of industries. I love that we get to be industry agnostic. And I do think that that has personally just helped my experience approaching DEI be that much more rich because I've been in early childhood education all the way through insure tech and everywhere in between. So let's see some of my favorite layers of my identity outside of what I do professionally. I'm a mama to humans and dogs and way more plants than I probably should care to admit. Um, first generation college educated. I'm a wife. I'm part of the LGBT community and I identify as a recovering perfectionist. So <laughs> really looking forward to digging into this chat with y'all. Uh, I love it. Recovering perfectionist. Honestly, also saying. Yeah, I, I say reformed perfectionist, but I'm going to go to start using recovering. I recovering. <laughs> just, just nicer, kinder to me. Um, I'm Hibba. I hope I know all of you or have met all of you before. If I haven't, and this is my first time, it's so nice to meet you. I'm the chief people officer over at Workweek. I also write a newsletter called I Hate It Here. It comes out on Mondays, and HR Therapy is my fun event series where I get to bring on all my favorite people to talk about all the things we're experiencing in HR in a real talk kind of way. So we're going to get into it today, share our thoughts, feelings, experiences. This is a safe space. Ask the questions you want to ask. Have fun in the chat. Um, and that is everything you need to know about me, maybe. I am also a recovering perfectionist. That's really it for me today. I have a caffeine problem. I drank shots before this. So I'm working on that as well. I also have used, funny fun fact, I've used the temporary tattoos and I really love them because I don't get real tattoos because I'm scared. Hey, that's a lot about me. Here we go. 
All right, community, Here, what has brought us here together today? I almost did that in a funny uh, Princess Bride accent. Um, community is what we're talking about today, but what is community? It's a shared sense of purpose and mutual trust that fosters connection and belonging at work. A lot of times I think that you like feel it before you can actually articulate the things. And so that is what makes this topic really cool. Um, it helps coworkers work better together. Like if you have a strong community, I bet your employees are working better together. If you're seeing employees really struggle, you maybe you don't have, maybe you're not fostering that connection and belonging at work. And it does contribute to your overall well-being, engagement, and overall success. We all know how important well-being is. This is huge. But on the side, on the right side, there's some fun stats. Like if you have a sense of community at work, you're 55% more engaged. You're 58% more likely to thrive at work. And you're 66 more likely to stay at an organization. So community for HR people also really helps our employees. If we build the community, they'll be more engaged, they'll thrive, they'll have a good sense of well-being, and they will stay, which is the thing I think a lot of HR people are afraid of. So that's a little teaser, a little overview of what we're talking about, kind of setting the stage for community and the things we're going to talk about today. Next, we're going to get to my favorite segment, where I get to ask my friends questions, and they get to share all their experiences with all of you. So we will dive into the first question. How do I create community virtually so staff stays connected even when some of them are far away from home base? It's our first question. I know we're all dealing with this. Yeah, I mean, I think I can jump in real quick here, and I'm sure both uh, Alex and Aid are going to echo this, but I think one of the primary ways is to foster virtual interactions, not just team-based, but cross-functionally as well. So whether that's regular check-ins, you know, virtual coffee breaks, informal video chats, just to really stimulate the casual interactions that would occur in a physical office space, or even things like provide, you know, dedicated channels or spaces for socializing and non-work related conversations. Um, so I would say that's one of like the preliminary things that you can definitely start to implement in order to build that virtual community. I'll just add something that it's happening real time that we're doing on my team that everyone is really enjoying is we created a series called How to Work With Me. Um, and everyone has written their own guide. And you talk about what does it look like when I'm stressed? What does empathy look like for me? What does, you know, and there's GIFs and memes and everything in there. We've already done the first one and everyone came to the table so vulnerable, so empathetic. And we're doing making a series out of it. And it's it's awesome. And part of it is that we also continue to ask each other what we want to do. So I think, you know, community is about also seeking out what people look for in connection and everyone is different. So continuing to ask that question is super important. What was like something you shared with the group that they were surprised to learn about you? I feel like you're a pretty open. So I'm going to be very vulnerable with this group. I haven't gone yet, but um, because I'm, I specifically as a leader, I tried to be selfless about it <laughs> and go last and let the rest of the team go first. But um, one thing I did share with the group separately, because I'm going through like a variety of different things at the moment, is that I, some of my energy is off right now because I am experiencing low testosterone and for those of you that are like, why is he talking about low testosterone? For two reasons, because when my energy is off or I'm losing focus, I want the team to understand why. And the other reason is men don't talk about health issues enough in the workplace. It's very taboo. And I want people to normalize and destigmatize that. Thank yeah. you for sharing that with us. Wow. That's great. Thank you. 
Alex, that's awesome. I love user guides. Um, shout out to Eden McFadden over at Matheson who launched a user guide initiative at our last company. And it was actually in PowerPoint form. And she encouraged folks to put pictures there. And like I put a picture of myself weightlifting and then she would, you know, match us up with other folks that had sort of things in common. So like outside of just like how I show up at work, but also how I show up outside of work and fostered community that way. So so to kind of piggyback on that before I give my other answer to this one was just taking a step back really quickly and acknowledging that if we're talking about virtual and remote. If you use Slack or you have another sort of like community-based chat sort of platform, that is your HQ. That's the new HQ. It's the one place everybody's going to show up every single day with some overlap, right? And so why are we not leveraging that in very simple ways, right? Um, Shared language, or maybe there's like a fun sort of like, Today is a fun flag day or this identifying, you know, emoji way. And you just go change your Slack status update to one emoji that correlates with whatever the headline is for that day. And then you just see what people have chosen. And it piques this curiosity about who they are. And maybe you engage in sort of community-based conversation um, organically that way. So there's lots of free, easy ways to leverage this virtual HQ that we all show up in every day. But I'm actually going to go also just share like the power of let them. Um, And what I mean by that is like as HR professionals, I do think that we often feel this like intense need to like create and foster and do and over engineer all of these things for people to dig into. And then when they don't, we're like, dang it, we got it wrong. Let them, right? Like, is there a way that we can sort of create platforms or pathways for them to engage in community organically on their own? An example of this is ERGs, right? ERGs are or are employee-driven groups that allow people who have something like a layer of their identity in common to come together in community and talk about those things or educate others within the company about those things. It's a safe space. And so I think ERGs are a great way for us to support community building that's out of our control that we're supporting. And maybe we even sort of advocate for budgets, heaven forbid, to support some of the programming there that benefits that community or the larger employee community in learning about sort of like the intersection of that group and the rest of the group. So lots of great examples here, but um, didn't want to overlook and, and and not talk about ERGs who are so powerful for us in terms of community at work. I love that you mentioned ERGs. We need like an, a whole other event about ERGs. So I think we could go on for like hours about that. But yeah. I, I was going to hand back to you because you, you use a little hand raise, which I love. Yeah, no, I just wanted to echo everything Adrian and Alex said. Such like really great points. Um, one thing that is similar to what Alex was talking about that we've done successfully at Inkbox is create our Inkbox education series. And it's kind of like a virtual show and tell, but it is all of our folks across the organization, regardless of department, title, tenure, seniority, whatever that looks like. And they sign up to teach us something and it could be something related to their role. It could be something entirely unrelated. And we as a community have learned such fascinating things about our folks, like outside of who they are as professionals, but like definitely develop some new hobbies. And I think it's just such a fantastic way to a, learn about our people in a holistic sense and using a holistic lens, but further build that community and, you know, drive so much connection. So it's been very, very um, successful. And Alex, also to your point, when you mentioned uh, hormone therapy, we're actually bringing in 
um, a hormone specialist to do like awareness session and wellness workshop for our folks, like men and women, inclusive of trans folks, just because it's important. It's important yeah. to have that education. It's important to have that awareness. So it's also little things like that that you can do to drive community and awareness as well. So. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think also going back to the ERG's point, I think we need to think more broadly as well about what an ERG can be. I think in the past, it's been very like, you know, it's certain type of groups. And I think we need to broaden that. And also, we don't necessarily have ERGs for every type of group out there. So it's like, if you come across somebody and you have a great conversation and you both have something in common, you can form your own community out of that. Like community doesn't need to be a hundred people, right? That's the other thing. It can be small and it can grow. And I think that's the other thing to really keep top of mind as well. And just, I know we don't want to get too much in ERGs, but I also think a friend of mine just wrote an article on for Fast Company on ERGs and about how her company is providing ERG leaders with equity. And I think that's really interesting because it's a good point. Like the work that people do for ERGs shouldn't be taken for granted. It's something they're doing in addition to their J job and they should be recognized in some way for that as well. Absolutely. So, yeah. I love that so much. Someone just said they created a Gen Z community um, not an ERG, but it's had some success. So like people will find their people and they'll talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. So very great idea. Okay. Our next question. Rebranding Re ERGs to communities. I think, yeah, kind of. I think so too. We could talk about that. That needs, to, that needs a whole other HR therapy. We need a whole other HR therapy on that one. Um, this one, this question I included because I think a lot of people are experiencing this right now and really struggling. How do you rebuild community at work? when layoffs have shattered or even exposed a crack in the previous sense of community? This work starts in the layoff planning process. If the strategy is not part of the proactive aftermath strategy, is not part of the whole layoff strategy, you're already behind. You have got to be thinking about the aftermath and those employees that are retained because while those employees that are retained are not impacted by a layoff, maybe from loss of job and therefore income and therefore, you know, um, economic security and all of those things, they're still very much impacted in a different way. And the long-term effects of that on the business can be more detrimental than anything else, even though the short-term impact of a layoff may be financially beneficial. And we all know that from a business perspective, Layoffs are often necessary for one reason or another. We won't get into that, but they must happen. And if they do, we have to be forward thinking and strategic about the aftermath. And I'm going to, before I kick it over to the rest of the group here, I'm going to kick off with, um, hey, we're human beings and we're emotional creatures, you know, and like, sorry to go the EQ route for a second. And I know HR might be, maybe gets a bad rap, you know, of like, oh, we're going to talk about EQ again. But this is one of those times where we have to acknowledge that humans are emotional creatures. We all have different experiences and different lenses, and we're all going to react and respond to a sudden jarring loss of fill in the blank in very different ways. And emotions are a big part of that. And so I think first and foremost is just like showing up vulnerably as leaders and acknowledging, I'll call it name it to tame it, that this has happened and they are experiencing those things and they may process those things in different way and holding space and making space and saying that that's okay one of the strategies that we did at my last company when we did have to conduct a layoff was we, in our all hands meeting, when we talked through the impact and we were as transparent as possible about all things related to it, 
We also told them we have zero expectation for you to show up 100% tomorrow and put in a full day's work. You are going to process this in your own way. You have a sudden loss of maybe your coworkers not here anymore that you had a great relationship with or a correspondence that you were, you know, collaborating with somebody on a program or a project with. There's a lot of things that are sort of like suddenly gone. And so making space for our employees to move through that in a way that makes sense to them because they're grownups. And if that means showing up and working, but no meetings, if that means not working at all, but then in addition, the leadership team hosted office hours for ask me anything for folks that wanted to show up and talk through it, if that was a way for, for them to process. And so just acknowledging that we're emotional creatures, we're going to process things in a different way, giving people space to do that, showing that we're going through that ourselves, as difficult as those conversations can be, and then moving forward into some of the other strategies that I'm sure the rest of the team will talk through that can be really powerful in rebuilding what is for no other way to say it, a breach, a breach of trust, right? Um, that's what a layoff is from the employee experience. It's like a, a major um, breakdown of trust. I'd like to break down the misnomer that community can only be built in good times. In my experience, yeah. community can be built during times of trauma. I've experienced that firsthand. Okay. So again, in our safe space bubble, I worked at a small company for six months in 2019 called WeWork. I'm being facetious, obviously, because it's not a small company. I'm sure you've all heard of it. And it was the most interesting culture I've ever worked with. It worked at in my career. But the one thing I will say is the one thing I've taken away from that is I am still in touch with a lot of the people I work with from there to this day. And you know why? Because no one else knows what we went through apart from us. So we have a shared experience and a shared community that came out of that. We may also have PTSD, but that's a separate topic that we don't have time for today. But I'm just throwing that out there. Like you can actually find your people in times of trauma as well. And I think that's something that's lost sometimes. I think that's pretty powerful, right? Just acknowledging that um, we have something in common, those of us that have been retained, right? And maybe that's survivor's guilt, or maybe that's these other things that we're feeling or experiencing, but bringing the team together. Um, I love that, Alex. Yeah. Thanks both. I think you both answered the question so perfectly. I can only echo everything that you both are saying. Um, I think just to kind of summarize it, for me, the three things that really pop up are acknowledging the impact. So it's really important to recognize and address the impact of layoffs on the remaining team members. And that looks like, you know, providing support and resources for employees to cope with any sort of emotional or morale challenges that result from the changes. And then rebuilding trust, which you both, you know, touched on is is very, very, very important. So communicating openly and honestly about the reasons behind the layoffs and what that motivation looks like while also acknowledging any sort of shortcomings in the past. And also noting that Rebuilding trust is going to require transparent communication moving forward and consistent actions um, and demonstrating more of a commitment to a positive and psychologically healthy and safe work environment. And then finally, the third thing I think is encouraging employee participation as we move forward. So involving employees in decision-making processes and asking for their input and the continuation of their feedback um, when it comes to ideas for rebuilding the community and fostering a sense of ownership, I think is really important when it comes to cultivating that sense of empowerment um, by employees that are 
able to shape, you know, what the company looks like going in the new direction. So. And Soraya, just on your point, you made me think of something. It's like the communicating early is so important and taking accountability of like the actions that are forthcoming. Because for the companies that I've worked for in my career, the ones that have owned like this is going to be happening and try to tell you on the early side, it gives, going back to Adrian's point, it gives people more time to process and deal with it um, and deal with the emotion behind it. The people that don't take accountability and are like, oh, you know, What's that thing, that employee experience you speak of? They're the ones that lose out in the end. I just wish people asked more, like asked employees more, like, what do you need? A lot of times they'll be like, oh, I want more money. Like, obviously, like everyone. But like, I just want to know from employees, especially after like a layoff, asking the question, like, what do you all need? Could be really helpful. Like maybe they need more comms. Maybe they need more understanding on why this happened. Maybe they need reassurance. But you won't know any of that unless you ask the question. Yeah. 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 I love that. And, um, you know, I, another strategy, if we're going to talk about like tangibles is what you're talking about. We do exit surveys or exit interviews when people leave, but after a layoff, one thing that you can do is help your managers, train your managers, encourage your managers to have a metaphorical stay interview, mm-hmm. right? Just sitting with them and learning about their current experience and what's important to them going forward and what's going to keep you here. You know, those things are so powerful, especially in a time where there's feeling a little uncertain, you might actually learn some pretty innovative, smart ideas from all of that. So oh, I love that. Okay. Our next question. I feel like we could talk about this one probably forever too. I feel like I'm going to read this in my voice. I want to build community at work, but find most initiatives are hollow and unfruitful because I myself don't want to be doing them either. How do I handle this? I feel like we touched on this lightly already, but like I'm so intrigued because it's, it's exhausting being in HR sometimes to show up and to be the cheerleader of the event is kind of like another added thing we have to do. And if like we are dealing with the layoff, showing up and being the happy person can feel disingenuous to us. And it also just like drains you even more emotionally. Mm-hmm. So curious what this group thinks. So I would say my answer might be a little cliche. So I apologize in advance if that's the case. <laughs> And again, apologies for what I'm about to say if you love virtual happy hours and if all you talk about is football. But like some of us don't and some of us don't want to go to virtual happy hours at any time. So what I would say to that is like you need data. You need to be asking your people like what is it that they actually enjoy? What do they enjoy participating in, right? And then what you do is kind of take a round robin approach during the year and try different things that meet people where they are at. That's the best approach. And I always say, if you try to get 100% of people on board, you'll achieve nothing. 80 to 90%, that is a win. That is a major win. And that's what you should be striving for. So that's the way I tend to look at it. Yeah, no, to your point, Alex, like you have to understand employee interests, right? So conduct your surveys, your focus groups to gauge employee interests and preferences for like what community building activities people would actually engage with and and then consider the diversity of preferences and then tailor the initiatives accordingly to ensure that they resonate with the majority, right? It's really hard as people in culture professionals to know which initiatives are going to land um, and which ones are going to be successful. But I think if we can get 70%, that's usually my kind of benchmark, then I would consider it to be um, a successful initiative. And on top of that, it's offering flexibility and variety, right? So providing a range of community building options to accommodate different preferences. While some people might prefer social events, other people might prefer skill building workshops, volunteering op- opportunities, 
that diversity, I think, is really important. I think at the end of the day, building a thriving community really does require ongoing effort, adaptation, um, as well as continuous evaluation. So we need to have our finger on the pulse as often as we can and continue to get that feedback and and continue to monitor it as, as much as we can. And I would just add to that, we also have to keep in mind, we have about five different generations in the workforce right now, and they all want something different. And we need to keep that in the back of our minds, but we can't make everyone happy all the time, right? So it's being conscious of it, but not trying to like over-engineer it and try to make everyone happy as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I think just a heavy plus one to a lot of what's been said. (laughs) Diversifying the, the type um, and the how and the what um, events for community building um, we're offering, I think, is really important because if we are always offering the same thing, it's going to cater to a very small niche of people where that makes sense to them. We've got a lot of different personality profiles, a lot of different generations, a lot of people who are in different seasons of life, a lot of people who maybe are extroverted, introverted, do like social engagement, don't. And there's so many things, right? So making sure that we're offering a variety so that the variety of people that we have can show up and choose to engage in community in ways that are meaningful to them is important. But I do think that there's an opportunity here for us to like also take a look at like there's macro communities and then there's maybe micro communities, right? Like the macro community is like the organization and we're all here for X because this is what the organization is and this is what the organization does. And then there's some micro communities like departments and teams and sub teams. And so if we're just going like this, there's ways to build community within each of those as well that might be unique to those communities or groups, if you will. And it doesn't have to be a virtual happy hour, right? It can be sort of like a shared language or like a ritual or, hey, we have a huddle and this is the one silly thing or funny thing or serious thing we all do, you know, when we show up in that uh, huddle or whatever it is. I also think about like if we take employer out of this for a second and we think about the different places that we show up that are communities, some of us go to church, some of us go to CrossFit, some of us go to, you know, a variety of places where we go there for that macro thing, right? So let's use church as the example. You go to church, you go to church because you have a belief system and there are rituals that you do um, in that hour or two that you're there, whether it's singing or sharing bread or or all of the things that happen there. And sometimes you're like, I'm here for it. I'm engaging. I am feeling the spirit. And sometimes you're like, nobody look at me and talk to me today. I am not here for it. That's okay, right? Like, I think also being graceful with yourself that like, you're going to be a little bit like this. You're not always going to be just like ready to engage, um, but you're still there for like the larger reason. And just exploring internally why you might be feeling like it is unfruitful or why you might be feeling like it is hollow. And have you always felt that way? And if you haven't, is that a signal that there's something or a symptom for you to sort of like explore deeper and do something with, or you just need to give yourself grace and space to be human and disengage for a moment in time. And Adrian, you bring up a really good point that like, I, which I feel a lot of the time is like people want choice and optionality at the end of the day. Right. Um, just like the fact that like, I want the option to know that I can determine where I'm going to work tomorrow. But if somebody starts forcing me and telling me where I need to be, then I've got a real problem with it. Right. And and I think that goes back to this. People want choice in in terms of the sort of communities they want to build. And they don't want to be told the kind of community they need to be part of. The last thing I will add before we move on to the last question is 
to play the role of like HR party planner when you don't want to do it. Like it's okay to not want to do it, similar to what Adrian said, but you can also elect other people to do it for you. Just like Adrian said, at the team level, at the manager level, I'm not above telling a manager, like, go take care of your team and do something fun. I don't need to be there to be the entertainment. Somebody else can be the entertainment. That way then I get to do less of that. I also like to plan events that I would personally want to go to. Selfishly, I'm like, I'm going to plan a trivia event because I love trivia. And that brings me joy. Uh, if it comes to planning something that does not give me joy, I love doing asking the question like, hey, does anybody want to lead on this? Mm-hmm. And people will like raise their hand and be like, yeah, I want to run it. And then you're like, cool, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> I just have to give you a budget and guide you. Anything else, I'm in the background. Right. It doesn't to be entertaining either right like it'd be like hey let's do data storytelling this month you know and um guidelines around that i know that like oh my gosh some people are like what does that even mean and that sounds terrible but just a different way to sort of engage maybe department specific or group specific that is still building community and people are sharing or um minorities within tech right and people can all share their story um it doesn't have to be like you know pretty hands Definitely taking off my party hat this, at this stage of my life. Okay, last, last question. Party hat would not work with this hair. How does fostering a sense of community contribute to DEI within an organization? I'm in conflict with this question a little bit, I'm going to say. Um, so here's the challenge I have with this is like, we're all on this call right now, and we clearly all enjoy each other and share similar perspectives. I consider us having our own community right now. You're, I would describe you as my people, right? But I think there is a danger also of having confirmation bias, right? Surrounding yourself with people who would just also share similar perspectives. So the one thing I like to make sure is that I'm also surrounding myself with people who are challenging me, debating me to think differently. And I'm not just surrounding myself with people who are going to agree with me all the time. And I'm not saying that's any of you because I know all of you would challenge me. But I think that's a really important difference to highlight as well. So that that's why I'm sometimes in conflict with this, because I want to find community and people that understand where I'm coming from. But I also want people who are going to debate me, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like a strong work community encourages diversity by bringing together individuals from different walks of life and different backgrounds and different lived experiences and cultures and perspectives. Right. So I think when a when people feel a sense of community, they're more likely to share their unique ideas, even if they are a little bit conflictual or challenging, but it also encourages so much more effective collaboration. And then you continue to contribute to each other's diverse talents and skills. So I think diversity speaking, um, creating a strong work community is, is very important from the diversity piece. Lots of different opinions and personalities should all feel welcome and belonged at work. Adrian, anything? Agree with both of those. And I love that perspective, Alex, a lot. Um, I want to comment on that in just a second in terms of like, how do we create a platform for that? How do we like make it psychologically safe for that to be a real thing, right? Because it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing for it to to live and breathe in a healthy way. Yeah. Uh, Definition, because I love anchoring around definitions, um, communities of feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And so if that's the definition, if you just Google community real quick, and we think about like new employee welcoming and like, hey, welcome to such and such company. Here's who we are. Here's how we work. Here's why we exist. Here's what we value. Here's how we work. 
here's how we internally operate. And when we bring people into that, and then Alex, to your point, we we share that here's the way that you can sort of like healthy conflict and healthy challenge. Here's the way that you can disagree or disagree and commit. And here's how we do that as a group. I think that's a powerful way for us to acknowledge that we are a diverse group of folks. We're going to come in with different perspectives, lenses, experiences, but this is how we do things here. And if you need to sort of like a way to, or you need to feel good about um, showing up and exhibiting the behaviors that are our shared values and belief system to achieve our common goals, we should be welcoming people and onboarding them to that from day one. And then maybe revisiting that. And also, Heb, I think you said in one of your podcasts recently that, you know, acknowledgement and um, recognition is free, right? Yes. And so like, let's be doing that regularly. And make sure that that's tied to so our, our shared common attitudes and interests and goals at the larger organizational level, but then also that we're empowering people to have healthy conflict and we're showing people that they can disagree, disagree and commit. And that's also okay. And I love what you said there, Adrian, because also like I've not always worked in, as I'm sure we not, you know, all of us have not, I've not always worked in psychologically safe environments. I'm lucky that I do now. But I think the other thing I've learned both for myself and my team is that we all come from different environments. And also part of that is unlearning some of those things. And it takes time to figure out how much freedom you can actually have in this sort of, quote unquote, psychologically safe environment. And that doesn't happen overnight. And that's why I'm also a big, when it comes to community with my team, I foster this team within your team concept where I almost like forced my my directs together so they can get to know each other on a personal and professional level and create that that time in that space so they can understand how open they can truly be with one another as well. I think the the interesting part about DEI and community is like the inclusion piece is like everybody wants to feel included and connected at work and community can actually help foster that feeling. Whereas like so often in a lot of environments, I have either been the only person or one of a few. And it's like very lonely to feel that way. But then when you have your community at work and like these little micro communities within it, you will find the people and you will gravitate towards them. And it also helps you feel like you are included. I have somebody on my team right now. I'm sure she won't have an issue on me saying this. Hopefully she doesn't. <laughs> but um, she came from an organization where she was the only person on her team. And now she has a team. And I have to reinforce that, like, you won't be successful if you don't leverage the rest of the team. And like, she loves that now. But, you know, as somebody said in the chat, unlearning that was really hard because she never had other people to rely on, going back to what you're saying, Hippa. And like, that is huge for people, right? To know that they can rely on other people and that helps build community. And a sense of belonging too. Um, okay, that concludes our pre-questions. Now we have live Q&A for 10 minutes. I'm going to take your questions. First question, when separate divisions become isolated in their own clique, how do we mesh the divisions together to get to know each other better and be more collective? I'll jump in real quick. Um, I'm going to come in with a few assumptions um, that these divisions need to work together. Um, or did you say that in the question? I feel like they have to. They have to work together and get to know each other better. Okay. Um, maybe we start with like, what's the why? Why? 
Why do you want them to in the first place? Why do they have to click? What's the purpose? Is there like a common goal or like an outcome or, you know, a project or a program that they have to collaborate on? Is it like personalities and you just want them to get along so it doesn't create sort of a ripple effect of conflict? So I think just like orienting around like the why we want those two groups to really connect first and like how do we get more folks on board with that why despite how we feel about it? And then maybe you invite others into the process of ideating through how we'll do that versus it just happening to them and you're giving them the solution. I kind of would bifurcate this in two. One is like the work aspect is like, look, at the end of the day, we're adults and we have to work with different people. We're not. But also that doesn't mean this is RuPaul's best friend race either. Like, you know what I mean? Like we we have to we aren't going to be best friends with everyone. If we find a best friend, it work great, right? But we also have to figure out how to work with one another in a cordial way. Cliques do make me uneasy at times because they tend to separate from the rest of the group. But look, people also find their people that way too. But my my thing is like at the end of the day, if it's getting in the way of work getting done, then that's something you have to address though as well. Absolutely. I would echo that. I think um, more than anything, it's about promoting those inclusive behaviors. So you need to set those clear expectations for everyone to be respectful and inclusive of one another and demonstrate those behaviors in the workplace, whether it has to do with a project or whether it is some sort of cross-functional virtual event. Those expectations need to be set in place right away. I completely agree with what all of you say, and I'm not going to add any more because you all did a really good job. This question, how do you get the wet blankets to participate? I don't know if we're allowed to say that term anymore. Uh, The people who are too busy for this and do not value being part of the group, force them or leave them out. I have one thing to add before all of you kick, kick off on this question. I, for executive leaders, when they don't come to an event, if it's a company wide event, I guarantee you the employees are noticing that they're not participating. And it's really subtle, but the employees notice it. And then they start to say to themselves, these things aren't important because our executives aren't showing up to them. So my ask on this one is if you have a group where the executives are like, I have too many meetings, I can't come to this, I'm too busy. The ask is, you know, you need to come up, you need to come display like the company because people are looking for you at these events. And when you're not at these events, they then start to think, oh, I don't need to participate anymore. And like, yes. Participation is optional in any community, but if especially if it's like a company-wide event that everyone is being encouraged to go to, you should be there. Absolutely. By example, we tell our C-suite, at least one or two of you need to be showing up to our larger scale organizational events because if you're not showing up, it's just demonstrating the fact that this is actually not important, right? So absolutely leading by example. I say to my boss all the time, you can't complain about engagement for whatever it is if some of them are senior people on turning up today, right? Because they're going to, again, model goes back to what Saray just said, model the right behavior, and then people will follow in that regard. So, but if you're not modeling the right behavior, then you're not going to get buy-in from other people. I really think it's calling them out on it. Adrian? Mm-hmm. Plus one to this in terms of like, what's culturally norm? Is it like a cultural norm for leadership to not show up and therefore other folks just choose to disengage because that's just like what's been acceptable and you know those behaviors absolutely matter um nonverbal communication is just as important as his verbal communication yeah. um, i think also there's maybe some assumptions here of like too busy for this and maybe we explore with these folks are they truly too busy is there truly too much on their plate 
is there a different problem here that we can work to solve so that we can help them make space to show up and or value reprioritizing time to show up for these things because they can tie um, the outcomes or what it means to show up to these events or these things outside of just busyness and spending time on things that maybe they do feel pressure and must be busy on. Is it a time management thing? Like there's so many other things to explore here with that person or those people that I would also want to sort of you know, sit with them and, and unpack a little bit and then uh, obviously communicate like the importance of them being there and helping them make space to do that. And I would also add that like, I like to probe deeply on this when I interview senior candidates, right? Because I want to understand like, how do they look at things like this, right? And are they going to be a cultural add to the firm? Because you can get to the bottom of this before somebody's even got into the organization, right? If you ask the right probing questions. I mean, not 100% of the time, right? As we know, hiring is an art, not a science per se. But I'm saying there needs to be more due diligence about focusing in on these things when you're hiring people too, as well. I love that. Asking that question too. Okay. Maybe one or two more questions. Um, How would you overcome opposition to including all in the community? In other words, how do you get the hermits out of their shells? I think I have one thing to add to this and one thing to add to everything. Um, Make it okay that they don't want to come to things. I really think like that is the most freeing thing ever to tell your employees like we want you at these things, but if you don't want to come, that's a you choice because there are extroverts, there are introverts, there are people who are going to just not want to be there. And I think where it goes wrong from a community and an engagement perspective is when you start forcing people to show up to things that they don't want to come to. Yeah. It does more harm. Yeah. I think also having... Just having a little bit more of a deeper conversation, obviously not having all the information here in the question, but like talking to these so-called hermits, right? Like, is this is this a new behavior? Is this something that has been part of their personality forever and ever? Or is this maybe conditioning from a past workplace where they were potentially, you know, joining in these, um, you know, these, these events and not being welcomed or a negative experience and now that's being carried into their current workplace right so i think it's important to not necessarily put a label on someone without actually having that question and determining what is creating this motivation or lack of motivation when it comes to attending these organizational events and then seeing if we can perhaps like cultivate an activity that is going to help them come out of these so-called shells whatever that looks like yeah I remember running a survey, I think at a prior company, and somebody said, I'm not interested in these community building events. I have friends. I don't need them at work. So I would say don't that that might be the example of what this quote unquote hermit looks like. But it goes back to like, you're never going to win those people over. So why are you trying? Right. Focus on the majority of people who actually are interested in being part of the community, not the small percentage that are already like already doing their own thing. It's just time not well spent at the end of the day. So Adrian, anything to add? I mean, I, I I think we all sort of we answered it earlier in the in the conversation too, but like diversifying what we're offering and then making it okay, you know, for for the hermit crafts to not come out of their shell. Like that's their safe space and they're there for a reason. So let's let's try and let them then stay cozy for this one. Let's respect what people want. It's wild. If people just ask people, what do you want? I feel like 99% of our issues in the workplace would be solved. Yeah. Maybe that's idealistic. I don't know. Um, This one's really interesting. Since most of our revenue relies on our employees being billable, 
how do I find the balance between community building and engagement activities and lost revenue? This was a really tough challenge at one of my prior companies where the majority of our hours needed, of the 40 hours in the week needed to be billable. And so I don't know that I've got like a brilliant answer for, you know, any one person to solve here. But what we ended up doing at the business level was making it so that there were um, billable and non-billable hours. And we had non-billable hours that you could select from. And there were a certain amount percentage wise or hours wise within a week or within a month that were like supported to community building or, you know, we did data storytelling at this one company. Um, We also had something called See Something, Say Something, where everybody, you know, leaned into problem solving um, something that was goal blocking for the company. It's not billable, but it's contributing to the broader company community. And so is there a conversation you can have with your manager? Is there a conversation you can have with your CEO where you're evaluating the mix of billable and non-billable hours? Because, There is, while there isn't like a one-to-one ROI in terms of revenue for the non-billable hours, there is a way for you to show that those non-billable hours, depending on what they are, do truly contribute to the broader good of the organization and therefore engagement and therefore retention and therefore not losing revenue. So sorry for kind of a non-answer, but hopefully a little bit of a directional answer. No, that was great. I haven't encountered this, honestly. So like I defer to my experts here. That was a lovely answer. Alex or Shreya, anything to add? Yeah, I think the nature of our business in particular, so I'm in an accounting advisory firm, a lot of similar, you know, everything is based on scheduling, right? And engagements as well. So anything like this needs to be built into a schedule, right? Um, And so you can't really lose sight of that. So there just needs to be more planning that's done, more forward proactive planning. It's doable. You just can't do it in a reactive mode. So that's what I've learned. And during our busy seasons, when people are working 60 to 70 hour weeks, you just got to recognize that they might not turn up to some of these things because they're just exhausted. And this just feels like another ask of them. So I really look at like where they are and sort of their employee life cycle and what they're dealing with at that particular sort of stage in the year as well. Yeah. I love and that. I would look at this too is like if you think about maybe it's not billable versus non-billable, but something that might apply to some of the other folks here is um, their FLSA status. So if we're exempt versus non-exempt and we've got mm-hmm. folks that are maybe like um, an internal call center and they are hourly employees, how do we make sure that they've got time off of the phones or off of, you know, whatever it is that may, that may be that, you know, we need them on the phones because that's revenue generating, but we're giving them hours off of the line to engage in community building or team building or heaven forbid an all hands meeting that, you know, contributes to the larger good. And also obviously employee engagement and overall well-being is is a, an interesting problem that we do need to solve for because if not, then it starts to feel like we used to use this term at one of my last companies our um, non-exempt team started to feel like the redheaded stepchild, right? Where they weren't invited or included in a lot of the things that the exempt team got to do and just, you know, manage their schedules in a way where it worked for them. So yeah, uh, being forward thinking and strategic and planning ahead for both groups is is important. Take the time to do that. I do love that. Um, you will get the template that Alex is talking about either through Alex's LinkedIn or through our recap email, I will make sure it gets in the hands of all of you. With that, I need to take the last five minutes to kind of talk through the rest um, of my presentation. Presentation, who am I? Um, Let's talk what's next. If you grab your phone and scan this, there's a fun survey for you to take. I love your feedback. I always want to hear it. 
it's really important to me. I will also include this in the email that comes after this. It's just good to know, like, are these valuable? What else do you need? How can we improve? I read every single survey. So I read every single word you write. You can tell me you hate something and I would not be mad. So please take the survey. I love the feedback. Um, Last final takeaways. I said I was going to make an announcement at the beginning, and I'm so anxious about this announcement because I'm so excited about it. But I just posted about it on LinkedIn that I launched a community. It's based in Slack right now, um, and it's called Safe Space. They're going to drop the link for you to take a look at it. It's really great. So far in the the pre-seed time, we have about 120 members already. And it is going to change a little bit for HR therapy moving forward. So all HR therapies are going to be 40 minutes. And then for the community only, we're going to have 20 minutes of a separate session with me, with speakers to actually dive in intimately where you can come off of mute. You can say whatever you want to say. Maybe it'll be the wild, wild west. I don't know. I'm really excited to see what it ends up being like. So you'll notice that change in July. Um, And if you use the code SAFE, S-A-F-E 30, you get 30% off your membership for just being here. So that's my huge announcement. I really cannot contain myself. I've been so excited. I've been quietly building this for a month. Um, I just posted in there today about how I felt like I never had my safe space in HR. I cannot go complain about employees to other employees, but now I can kind of complain about them in safe space. And we do also have an anonymous way for you to complain about anything you want to complain about that is not tied to your picture or your title or who you are. We also have a screaming into the void channel. I screamed in there last night. So Take a look, click the link, someone just shared it, and you can join. Um, Fostering community can happen so many different ways, and it really depends on your organization. I stuck this note in here. As you saw, we are all dealing with different types of organizations, and community is not a one-size-fits-all approach. So figure out what your employees want. You heard all the advice today, and build them something that you think they'll interact with. And if they're not interested, don't force them. And the last thing is why you should care about community. It impacts well-being, engagement, collaboration, creativity and inspiration. A lot of my inspiration in the last month has come from the things that people are saying in my community where I'm like, shit, I need to be thinking about that. So it can really change. It can really have an impact on employees. I can distinctly remember environments where I did not feel safe and I did not have a community to like how I felt in environments where I had a community and I was able to say and do whatever I wanted. And I felt like no one could judge me. And I think like that is super powerful for employees and also really difficult to land the plane on. So I hope my team gave advice today that can really help you. Huge thanks to my panelists. They're brilliant. They're wonderful. You can follow them on LinkedIn. I will put all their links in the after email. Soraya, Adrian, thank you so much for the three of you. This was like one of my favorites. You all have so much energy. We're going to have to all get back together for to ERG or not to ERG because I think that would be a great HR therapy everybody else. Do you want to say bye? Thank, Thank you. So Thanks, everyone. This was amazing. <laughs> it's, um, I don't know if everybody else is, but I'm open to connecting. So if you find me on LinkedIn, yeah. shoot a connection. Same here. Same here. I'm going to be linking to all your profiles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll be like, be friends with my friends. My only goal in life is all my friends be friends with all my other friends. Yeah. And I mean, say sweet. Yeah. And Jen, say that. We're having yes, so much I've fun joined. Today. I've joined too. We're having so much fun in there. Okay, I will see all of you soon. Thank you, thank you, panelists. Y'all are the best. This Thanks, so everyone. Thanks so much, Evan. We'll see you all soon. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thanks for tuning in. Keep up with all the latest HR resources by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you love I Hate It here, tell an HR friend. I'll see you next time. <laughs>